Well, we've been talking about worship and what it is, uh, how we do it, that kind of thing. And one of the things I realized this week, um, and I don't know why I'm so slow to pick up on this, but I am, is like I, I had myself into straight up like headache land, just trying to figure this stuff out. And, and what I realized is you can't. <laughs> it, it's like an ant trying to figure out the cosmos. You know what I mean? It's, it's, like, it's like trying to, to paint the Mona Lisa with two broken crayons. You know, it's it, it, what we're dealing with stuff so over our heads and so above our pay grade that um, what I think the Lord also lets, at least me do, is flail for a while till I run out of energy and just relinquish into, oh, you. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what you want me to know about you? So that's my prayer for us as we go through this. So we just let God reveal himself to us and even empower our response to him that we call worship. I wanted to tell you about a few conversation partners I have on this. There's about three people who will actually pay attention or care. But for the three of you, I want you to know who some conversation partners I've been with. A couple of guys, a guy named Michael Reeves wrote a book called Delighting in the Trinity. It's an incredibly important book, easy to read, about 100 pages long. Um, that's been really helpful. Jürgen Moltmann, isn't that an awesome name? Name your child Jürgen. You'll never have it repeated, probably in America at least. Um, and then there's a couple other resources, uh, article by Jeffrey Wainwright in, in the Oxford History of Christian Worship, another one by a guy named Jeremy Begbie. Um, reason I tell you that is we, we don't necessarily go to other thinkers for answers. We go because they're conversation partners who are together trying to find what does the scripture and Jesus himself reveal to us by the spirit. So, but if we're smart, we talk to people that have dove into this more than we have, right? And there's always somebody, no matter how smart I think I am, there's always somebody who's spent a lot more time here. Um, so if you ever want to look at these or I even borrow one of my books, you can because they're, they're just whew, beautiful, beautiful uh, conversations about worship. So last week we talked about why do we worship? And the simple answer is that, that God is glorious. We talked about the glory of God throughout the scriptures that we see is, 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 the, is this idea of the weight of God's honor, his splendor, his beauty, his high status. And we saw God reveal his glory, that he's the only one with glory. God in his presence, in his creation, his actions, with sight, sound, specific places in that the height of God's glory Moses sees on Mount Sinai which where God explains and says what his character is he's love and justice and then at the very height in the New Testament in John 12 in Hebrews 2 we see the height of God's glory is the cross of Jesus of God's self-extension of his love toward the other is the height of his glory. And so the easiest way is to say, what is the glory of God is Jesus himself. And so when we say, why do we worship? It's because God is glorious and that worship is the reasonable response to God's glory. Have you ever seen a sunset and you just have to respond in some way? Like say, do you guys see that? Or, or something, so a, a beautiful you know, picture or a beautiful person, you just gotta that's, that's beautiful. That's the natural, normal response to God's glory. 
So what we're going to talk about today, and this will be a couple weeks on this, is what, it's, what is worship? What's going on? And, and you might remember that we've been basing this series on this one sentence that Paul wrote to the Romans um, a long time ago. And he said this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And last week, the reason we talked about the glory of God is because we were looking at specifically this word, therefore. Whenever the word therefore is there, we have to ask, yeah, what it's there for. It means is there's something else he's referring to. And it's fair to say that when Paul, in the whole letter he wrote, this 16-chapter letter uh, to the Romans, that therefore is really kind of this hinge point of, Everything that Paul has said to Romans 1 through 11 and that he's going to introduce for the rest of his letter. And so it's super important what happened, what the therefore is there for. And so we looked last week and we're going to read it again. Just the very first, very first uh, few ideas that Paul talks about. The Romans, the first half is mostly about what is the gospel. And, and, and then the second half is how do you live out the gospel? So it starts, the gospel starts with a problem. <laughs> and so here's the problem. Read it last week and read it again in case you weren't here. Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. We ask you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, you would take us into what does this mean? Who are you? And ultimately, who are you, Jesus? Amen. So the key ideas we noticed, first of all, is the problem, humanity's big problem is misplaced worship. The thing that has deformed us, Paul says here, is we've worshipped created things rather than the creator himself. The key ideas we see in this passage is that although they knew God, they, in case you're wondering, means you and me too, we knew God, neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, and we've worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. The thing to note here is that there's a connection between this idea of glorifying God, the glory of God, and worship. 
We saw last week that glory is the key to understanding why we worship. Here's the deal. Glory is the key to understanding what worship is as well. So we're just going to sit on this glory thing a little bit. So this, this is honestly kind of a dense argument. <laughs> so for the thinkers among us, you're, you're going to be happy. For the feelers, hang in there, okay? Hang in there. The, the Lord comes and does his thing for all of us in different ways when, when we're ready for it. Okay, so here's some assumptions to think about what worship is. His assumption is this, is that God has always existed, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, the earth and everything hasn't always existed. Now, these are, this is why these things give you a headache if you think about them long enough, okay? Because God has no beginning. So if you start thinking about that, I, I know kids who just like freaks them out. I, it, it makes me love them so much because they really think, they fit, realize, whoa, that's hard to get. In the beginning, God, God has always existed. Another assumption is that God doesn't need anything, right? Okay. So he's, he's, he exists before creation, but he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need creation. Acts, Paul's preaching to the, the, the philosophers in Athens, the good old Greek philosophers. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. It's a crazy, you, you just worship God from just that thought. That people who consciously, hatefully reject him exist because he decided so. Isn't that amazing? What kind of God is this? And I, like I did last week, I give you some other texts. These, these things are, these slides are available online um, to, to contemplate this stuff. Here's another assumption that God alone has glory. We talked about this last week. So you've already seen these scriptures that the Psalms call him. He's the king of glory. He's the glorious one. He says, I'm the Lord. That's my name. I will not yield my glory. In other words, that all that stuff, the weight of his being, the magnificence of his character that's seen in these images that he occasionally reveals himself and that ultimately in his love and his justice, he's the only one that has that. Okay. So here's, here's the reasoning of this. God has always existed. He doesn't need anything. God alone has glory. So if you add all these together, here's what we get. God doesn't need anyone or anything to give him glory. Okay, this is super important where we're going on this. Okay, so God doesn't need us to worship him. Following? Okay. If you don't, you can come back later and listen to it. But here's the question. But God is the glorious one. <laughs> so how does that work? And here's the thing that's so important. Uh, Michael Reeves helps us in this book on delighting the Trinity. The idea of the Trinity is not kind of this embarrassing, confusing thing that we kind of like, well, I guess that's part of it too. Embarrassed. The only way we can have a God that loves is a Trinitarian God. The only way we can have a God that doesn't need anything is a Trinitarian God. Otherwise, God needs creation. The Islamic God needs creation. They say he can't exist as long, but it logically doesn't work out. Okay, so here's how God's glory works. And that's a whole fun, read Michael Reeves' book. You want to see how that goes. I'm not going to get into that here. But this, here's how God's glory works within the Trinity. 
John 17, verse 1, 4, and 5, and then 24. It says, Jesus is saying this prayer, his last and longest prayer that we have, last prayer before he goes to the cross. He said, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And at the end of his prayer, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So here's the way that God's glory works and exists before anything else is the first thing is that the father glorifies the son we see that in verse 5 and 24 father glorify me in the presence of the glory i had before the world began and then we see that the son then glorifies the father he says in verse verse 1 and 4 there glorify your son that your son may glorify you i brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do isn't that interesting now, the reason the Father gives him glory at the, at the last here is because he loves the Son. Super important. Sometimes it's easy to get this picture of God as this regal, glorious one who's, I give thee glory. You know what I mean? He said, I love you so much. I love you, Son. I want to bestow on you the, the, all the things I know about my being and my character. Will you receive this? And here's how the way it works. It's the Spirit, first of all, who embodies and reveals the love between the Father and Son. How do we know that? We see this, that when the Father is talking about Jesus, he says, here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love. Here's how I, the one I delight. Here's how I show you my love. I will put my spirit on him. Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. And here's what the Father is saying. This is what's up right now as I send the spirit on you. You're my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Paul describes the Holy Spirit later in Romans 5.5. 5. He says that God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Think about that just for a minute. That the embodied in re revelation love of God comes by this person, the Spirit. One, one guy calls the Spirit the flame of love. If you're wondering, does God love you or can you experience His love? Too late, He's in you. If you've given your life to Jesus, baptized in His Spirit, He's already loving us now in the person of the Spirit. So, here's what's fascinating. We can see a similar thing going on with the glory of God. It's not quite as clear. But I was noticing that I think the Spirit does something similar within the Trinity. Because Peter calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of glory. That in a way, He is glory Himself. The very character of God. And then we see these times that when Stephen's filled with the Holy Spirit, he sees the glory of God. You look in Ezekiel, more than one time it says he's caught up in the Spirit, and then he sees the glory of God. And Paul talks about this, says that the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So we're looking at the Lord's glory, his magnificence, his beauty, are being transformed into his image with increasing glory, which comes where? From the Lord who is the Spirit. So that this, this thing is going on, and there, here's other things you look at, and John 14 is, John 14 through 17, I'm telling you, I think it's probably some of the most ingenious, brilliant writing of any human document in history. I mean, you, just those chapters of Jesus' discourse, you can spend the rest of your life on those and never hit bottom. It is shocking. But here's how God's glories work. It's Father loves and delights in His Son, so He gives Him glory. This is eternally happening before anything exists besides God Himself. Then the Son loves and delights in the Father, so returns the glory to Him. And the way that goes down is that the Spirit Himself embodies and reveals the love and glory between Father and Son. Now, if you just sit on that, if you actually believe this and get this, that this is going to revolutionize your understanding of who God is. That's what's been going on for eternity past. What that even means, I don't know. Eternity past, past has no meaning in the word eternity, right? It's like, this is why my head hurts, okay? That love and bestowing of glory is what happens in God. It's, it's just not like this thing of like, who, it's the way he exists in constant dynamic motion between Father, Son, and Spirit of love and glory. So if we're trying to define worship, here's how far we've gotten. God doesn't need anyone or anything to give him glory. It's happening in him all the time. So here's a really important, important question. So why does creation exist? Why did God make anything? It's a really important question, isn't it? I'm going to tell you this. This question determines how you see everything in your life. Why am I actually here? And here's what's fascinating. The scriptures show it's to glorify God. <laughs> Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on earth. You've set your glory in creation in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then there's this beautiful worship to, to, to God at the, at the end in Revelation 4. You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Paul goes ahead and he talks about humans. That, that He says the, the, the apostles, they were chosen... In verse 12, why? To be for the praise of His glory. And then we're redeemed. We've got the Holy Spirit. What for? To the praise of His glory. So what's going on here? God doesn't need anyone or anything to give Him glory. Why does creation exist? To glorify God. What does that mean? How does that work? And here's how I think it works. Is that in the Trinity, the Father is eternally loving and delighting in His Son. And so He gives Him glory. And the Son loves and delights in the Father and returns the glory. And the Holy Spirit embodies and reveals the love and glory between Father and Son. So here's how it works with creation. God loves and delights in His Son so much, He decides to share this love and delight with a creation. 
In other words, God's love, his glory is just so outgoing. It's like the sun. It's the opposite of a black hole of saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. He's giving, giving, giving. And because of that, in his love and delight in his son, it's so good. I'm going to make something and share that with this creation. We see that so powerfully that notice in Genesis 1, God creates everything. And he could have said, it's done. He could have said, that's kind of cute. But he says, the God of the universe says, this is good. The good one says, this is good. This passage blow, blows my mind. It's Proverbs 8. And if, if you look at the whole uh, book of Proverbs, there's different characters in, them, in it. And one of them is Lady Wisdom. And really, it's just, it's a, it's a literary device, a poetic way of talking about God's wisdom, okay? But this stuff is so over our heads, sometimes it's helpful to have kind of these characters, you know? So this passage is, is wisdom speaking, God's wisdom. Remember, think about God's smartness, God's ability to figure stuff out, God's ability to apply his own brilliance to other things. That's what's speaking here. And, and, and in this passage in Proverbs 8, it starts with saying, you know, God, the first thing he created was wisdom itself. And then wisdom was there with God in his creations. He says, I, and I was wisdom here, God's wisdom, was there when he set the heavens in place. When God marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundary. So the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, and look at this. This is God's wisdom speaking, God's intelligence. I was constantly at God's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. God himself was giddy when he made us. He's giddy and delighting. This is the overflow of his abundant joy and generosity. And that's why we exist. And the overflow of God's delight. He's, he's rejoicing. The, 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 the rejoicing always in pre his presence, the Hebrew is kind of interesting there. It can actually be translated, I was like a child playing in his presence. He's, he's like doing backflips that he's making this creation called you and me. Paul talks about that Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn. That means there's a second, third, fourth, fifth. He wants more of them. He loves his son so much. How can I replicate this son of mine over and over and over and over and over, and over again? in this creation because I like him and I delight in him so much all in Jesus all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible thrones powers rulers or authorities and here's crazy I love this all things have been created through him and for him elsewhere we see that creation Hebrews 1 2 all of creation is Jesus's inheritance this is like all of creation is a birthday gift for the son of his love and delight and glory. 
we see that Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing of Christ. This is beautiful. He chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy, holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, an image of Jesus. And in love, he decided ahead of time for, to adopt us to sonship through Jesus. Why? Because he liked the idea in accordance with his pleasure and will. What he decided before he made a single human is I want to adopt you. I want to be your father. So how does this work that creation exists to glorify God? The the whole inception of this thing is that God loves and delights in Jesus so much. He decides to share his love and delight with the creation. That's the whole point. You see that, that you exist because of love? I mean, that's going to that's gonna tear down all kinds of cultural worldview narratives. It should, quickly. You see, so there's some dissonance between what I hear on a week-to-week basis. The next thing he does is, like the Father gives love and delight, uh, he loves and delights the Son, so gives him glory, God gives his glory to his creation. So we see, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. You're worthy, our Lord and God. Receive glory and honor. I just read these. You created all things, and by your will they were created. And he gives his glory to creation, especially to humanity. God gives the weight of his majesty and brilliance of his being and character, especially to humanity. The easiest way we see that is in Genesis 1.27. God created mankind in his own image. He didn't say that any other created thing, but specifically to humanity, I want you to look like me in all my glory. The psalmist says, what's mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. That's at creation. Humanity is crowned with God's glory. Prophet Isaiah is talking about the the sons and daughters God was talking about his people. He said, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And the clearest statement here is just simply, Paul says this, that man, humanity, is the image and glory of God. Does Does this contest any worldviews you've heard? about like humanity is an intrusion on creation? Ever heard that before? I mean, there couldn't be something more counter to the truth. That God is most excited of all creation that we're here. So God loves and delights in his son so much, he decides to share this love and delight with the creation. He gives his glory to creation, and here's... And this is where I struggled so hard to have the right language because it's just so big. That creation itself, not dissimilar to what the Holy Spirit does, embodies and ascribes glory back to God. What do we mean by that? 
Well, we see in Genesis 1, this is verses 26 through 28. It says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here's what we see with embodying the glory of God and the way we return it to God. The first is simply by existing. Verse 27, I shouldn't use white behind there because I'm realizing our screens aren't as good as my laptop. Just by existing, we declare the glory of God. He put his image in us. The, the, the thing to think about is, and Bible Project talks about this really, really helpfully. All of creation is God's temple. And in the ancient Near East, every temple would have an idol statue so you could see what the God is like. We're that image. We are the image of God on earth. So in a created order, he can demonstrate what he's like. He built it in us. That's what it means to be the image of God. You feel the delight of God on this. We matter infinitely. So we embody the glory of God back to God just by existing. Incidentally, it's why in worship time it's just good just to show up. Just you being here is good enough. You can do it from home, yeah, but there's something about exerting our will because the thing is also we... We embody in glory of the God by our doing. Now look at this. This first, the verses before and after this being statement, God's saying, let's make mankind our image so that there's stuff that we do that reflects the character of our loving, compassionate creator. So that we may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, livestock, wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Be fruitful and increase in number. The God who's ever going out, ever giving away his glory, giving away his love says, do the same and you will image what I'm like on the earth. And this, these rule languages is, is not, it's the kind of God that we actually see who's tending and caring for, who, who, who starts them not in an office, but a garden. Not in a control room for the universe, but in this beautiful garden. So we embody and ascribe glory back to God by how we live our lives. Just existing is enough. But then how, what we do with our bodies, with, with this embodied glory, brings glory to God. And then the other thing, we talk about ascribing glory back to God. Ascribe it, that's not a word you use very often. But we see here, this is a really helpful passage in Psalm 29 96. Basically said the same thing. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And the best way I can, un- I can talk about what ascribe means, because remember, God doesn't need glory from anything. And secondly, he's the only one with glory. So even the glory he gives us is his glory. So we really can't give him glory. But what we can do is we can see it and we can say it. Does that make sense? That I can see the glory of God and say, that is glorious. That is phenomenal. And what am I doing? I'm praising. That is stunning. I can see it and I say it. And you can see here that we've got this ascribe and worship bound up together. So we're starting to get to a definition of what worship is. And I know this is a pretty dense argument. I gave it pretty fast. But this is, this is some stuff that's really fun to think about. Uh, and you'll notice here, I haven't mentioned music or singing once. It's very intentional. Because music and singing, I happen to be a musician. So it's not a ding on music. But, but we can easily misunderstand what's going on when we use music and things like that and call it worship. Has anyone heard the song, Shoe Fly, Don't Bother Me? <laughs> shoe fly, don't bother me, shoe fly. Don't. That's not worship. It's a song, but it's not worship. We have tools by which we can ascribe glory to God. Make sense? So that's why we've got to understand what we're actually talking about, why we're doing it, and what it actually is before we get to the tools. Sometimes you want to just get, go to use the tools, but the problem with not knowing exactly what a tool is for is you can end up using it for dumb things. I still remember the day I thought I was going to talk about that. I, I had a hammer. I put toothpaste on it tried to brush my teeth. What I didn't know, yeah, I rubbed it in my mouth. What I didn't know was how spicy the, the, the uh, toothpaste was. And it got stuck in my mustache. And the mayor decided to pop in for a visit that day. So it's Dooley Bartlett, me with mustache, you know, toothpaste, and just like, this was a terrible idea. But I remembered the illustration for the rest of my life. <laughs> Using a hammer to brush your teeth. We, we want to know what a tool's for before we get all obsessed with the tool itself. So what is worship? Worship, the word itself in English has to do with Bestowing worth, worthyship. This is what they teach in children's ministry. I, I talked to Zach to confirm I was on the right path. Attributing worth to something. So as best I can tell from the scriptures is worship is glorifying God, but that's got a specific idea behind it. It's, it's embodying and ascribing God's glory. When we glorify God, we are not meeting his needs. Okay, in fact, there's several implications to this. The first one is, we exist because God likes us. He wants us to be here. Have you ever been at a home you were the guest at, and they, you knew they didn't want you there? <laughs> Any host home travelers? I have a great... I used to do a lot of host homes. I traveled on the road doing music with some worship artists and stuff. And I still remember this. I knew, my wife and I were together, we knew they did not want us here. The first part was that we showed up like eight hours late, and they were still in the parking lot, and it wasn't our fault. But, you know, there's that look on the host home like, 
I'd rather shoot you than be here. <laughs> then we get home, and, 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 and then we get there, and the wife was just so irritated. There, she was literally feeding us her children's food, so we had, like, cut up beanie weenies, and but we're like, okay. And, and, and the height of the stay was... <laughs> We were, we were staying at a downstairs bedroom, and the only bathroom was to go up the stairs, and fine. So in the morning, I had to go to the bathroom, and, and I go up the stairs and use the bathroom. And as I'm coming down, the, the mom's coming up the stairs at the same time. And key point is that the stairs were carpeted. And so for some reason, like, she's like, hi. I say hi. But right when I'm passing her on the stair, I slip. And the last thing I remember seeing was my elbow going into her spine, her going like this, face down, and me hitting the back and going down to the bottom of the stairs. I hit the stairs, popped up, and she's like, are you okay? And I said, yes, and I just left. You know, I was like, like, there's no recovering from it. She already hates that we're there, and I just destroyed her on the stairs. We never kind of, we kind of never felt comfortable in that home. Did you know you're wanted here? That God wants you here? He specifically wants you here. It's clear in the scriptures, God's motive for creating us is his delight and his love. The overflow of his delight and his love. And he never needs a single thing from us. I'm just talking about the scriptures, friends. God didn't need anything. He didn't need us. He wants us. He doesn't need glory from us. He actually shares his with us. And we just got to go, we get the chance of going, what? That's glorious. You're glorious. You're beautiful. All of our worship is responsive. It's never initiated. By definition, creator initiates. If we embody God's glory, then our existence alone gives him glory. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us who struggle with self-hatred and self-rejection, that, guys, is straight-up demonic. It's, It's fundamentally the opposite of what God thinks of us. If we have this sense that God's rejecting us, but you should just worship him, that's, that's a hard ask. It's not what's happening. He's delighted that you're here, shares his glory. He's like, what do you think? And worship is our response of, you're crazy. You are crazy, God. What is wrong with you that you would be this good? Here's the beauty. The glory of God is a gift of love. Jesus said in John 17, 24, the Father eternally in the Trinity gives me glory. Why? Because he loves me so much. I'm aware of some attempts at understanding the glory of God that make it seem like God's wanting something different when he talks about his glory. Maybe you haven't run into that, some, but I've had some people talk to me about this, of like, they don't want to hear about the glory of God because it just means yuck. And, and I just got to say, it's just, I don't know what you do with Jesus' words when he says the whole reason he receives glory is because the Father loves him so much. 
the fundamental reason for God giving glory to creation is His delight. And so that means our worship, our glorifying God, is an act of love. Now, it's, it'll be time, over time we have to unpack what does love mean, right? <laughs> what that doesn't mean is an act of feeling good. How I many of you know that really loving somebody costs something? I felt like this morning, this is just my interpretation of what was happening in the worship music, and then Anna, was the Lord's like, let's start here with this thing where there's these beautiful vibes and we're recognizing the love of God. And then he comes up and he says, I really want to worship now. Let's start repenting. Because he wants to embody his glory in us. We're going to talk about next week how sin deforms the image. It deforms the glory of God in us that we get to give back to him. So I just watched the Lord doing this. I was like, oh, he's going deep for glory now. He wants to change us. So we're going to take communion together, which is an act of worship. We think about it. It's kind of interesting. It's this three-dimensional story that we reenact of what God actually did in the gospel. And if you're new to us, we, we're, we're still using these little packets. Thank you. I think someone called them our COVID communion. I, I don't know what to say about that, but um, we, we used to all dip in the same cup, and does that kind of freak you out, that idea right now? Yeah, I get it, and I, I've already offended half the room, but, but uh, for different reasons. I offended the whole room just now. Hallelujah. This is why we need communion. We need the blood of Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Do you know the best way... The best way to meet the love of God is in your sin. It's not hiding from our sin. It's, a, it's, it's in our failure. It's our incompetence, our open mistakes. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated, he explained, he showed us what his love for us is like, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So you can't clean yourself up to come to Jesus' table where we commemorate his death and resurrection. When Paul says to examine yourself, he's saying, let God clean you up, dude. You don't deserve to be here. <laughs> That's the point. He says, Paul said, I received from the Lord, I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, this remembering that his body would be broken on behalf of us for our sins. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, new relationship between God and humanity in my blood. He said, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Thank you for your death, Jesus, until he returns, until he comes. And so we're going to take just a moment before we take this and the way to do it, you've got to peel this thing apart, and the, the wafer is like between two pieces of plastic here, so that, it takes a little work. You may want to get to work on that now before we take it. Um, don't swallow any plastic, please. Let's bring ourselves to the Lord as we are. Just take a little bit of quiet, and whatever is 
beautiful and embarrassing. Let him see it all right now. So, Lord Jesus, we trust that your body was broken for us. So in this mysterious moment, we just take this little wafer as a sign of your body. We say, will you put us back together? Let's take the bread together. Now, Lord, we ask you to search us and know us and see if there's any hurtful way in us. You know, sin is what destroys us or relationships in the world, and we cannot fix our problem. But that's the point of the cross, that you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's what we're enjoying right now. So Lord, will you show us anything where we need forgiveness or to offer forgiveness? So let's do that just for a minute. Okay, so Jesus, we trust that your blood is enough to relieve us of guilt, sin, and shame. We take, let's take this together. Yay. Let's stand together now. Let's just for a second in our own way, worship the Lord. It's just a thought, something you say, song, I don't, I, just, just for a minute. Just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glory to you. Glory to you. Glory to you. Father, will you reveal to us by the Spirit, the delight you have with your Son, Jesus, that you've shared with us as creation. Will you go to the deep places in us that we would believe why we exist is out of your delight and that our worship to you is a response to your brilliant glory? Will you open our eyes by the power of the Spirit to be able to see the magnificence of who you are that's most clearly seen in the cross where we're forgiven? Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's pray for those far from God that are in our relational network. They'd be able to meet some of this. There are people walking around guilty, ashamed, angry, destroying themselves in sin, far from God. And we get a chance to pray for them, to see them meet the very solution that we ourselves have had. So let's pray this out loud together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Quick testimony. Guy's been on my OCAS map for years who did engage with Jesus, was in discipleship relationship, and then freaked out and disappeared. Has that ever happened to anybody? I have had, it's been no communicado for probably four months. Continue to pray this week. Calls, text me in the middle of the day, I need help. I need help. Can, can we meet again? We're back together Thursday. He's getting the help he needs. 
I'm just telling you, this is long, slow, persistent work. But it matters. There are people on the earth that nobody but you are praying for. That doesn't mean it's on you, but we get the privilege of doing something and loving people that maybe nobody's, everybody else is overlooking. You know what I'm saying? Such a privilege. So let's do it this week. Love you guys. Bless you. Have a great week.